So in preparation for tonight, um, if you had turned to Colossians, but also kind of hold a, a thumb in Philemon, um, there's a reason for that, and uh, might be just a little bit helpful as we get started. Well, Elizabeth Elliot, when writing about work, she once wrote this. She said, the principal cause of boredom is the hatred of work. People are trained from childhood to hate it. Parents often feel guilty about making children do anything but the merest gestures toward work. Perhaps the children are required to make their beds and in a feeble and half-hearted fashion tidy up their rooms once a month or so. But take full responsibility to clear the table, load the dishwasher, scrub the pots, wipe the counters. Is work a necessary evil, even a curse, she says. And then she goes on to talk about a Christian that spent many years in the Soviet Union and working in the work camps, and he had to do the most dehumanizing, brutal work. She talks about it. And she said, yet even though he did the most brutal work, dehumanizing work, and you can only imagine being in a Soviet camp, she said he took pride in his work. She said, why? Because he saw it as a gift from God coming to him from the hand of God, the very will of God for him, end of quote. And ladies, as we think about our lesson tonight, this really is in essence what Paul is trying to convey to the slaves who are members at the church at Colossae as well as the masters. And so let's listen in and we're going to look at Colossians 3:22 through chapter 4, verse 1. Bond servants, be obedient to your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong will receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, given to your servants that was just just and equal, knowing that you too have a master in heaven." Now, last week, we ended our uh, verses, our time on the responsibility of uh, each member of the family. And last week, particularly, we looked at the responsibility of the husband is to love her wife, love his wife, and uh, also to not be bitter towards her. We also saw the responsibility of the children is to obey their parents. The word for obey is to listen under. They are to listen to the instruction of the parents, and they are to obey. And then lastly, we saw that parents are not to provoke their children. They don't want to discourage them. And I gave you many tips on how we as parents uh, often discourage our children and provoke them. And so I hope you gave uh, some food to, for thought this week on that, especially those of you that are young mothers. Now, tonight we just have a twofold re- uh, outline. First of all, the responsibility of the servant to the master, Colossians 3:22 through 25. And then lastly, the responsibility of the master to the servant in Colossians 4:1. Now, I ask you in your homework, I don't know how many of you did it, but um, to answer the question, Why is there so much space given to the master-slave relationship in comparison to the family relationship? And ladies, any time in the Word of God when you come to a book of the Bible and you're studying it or you're reading it, if there's a large amount of space given to a certain topic or subject, it usually is because that is very important. And yet it seems odd since we've been talking about false teachers and Gnosticism and things like that, 
that Paul would give uh, so much space to a master-slave relationship. And so the reason, I think the reason he did that, if you read Philemon, which I hope you did, it's just one chapter, won't kill you. And, uh, you know, that chapter day keeps the devil away, so that could be your chapter for the day. But if you recalled, if you, if you looked at the end of Colossians, Paul talks about a man named Tychicus and Onesimus. He also mentions Onesimus in the book of Philemon. And he talks about the fact that Onesimus, in the book of Philemon, remember Onesimus was a runaway slave. He, Philemon was his master. Onesimus was the slave. Onesimus, he robbed Philemon, right? And he ran away. And he ran, and he went to Rome where he met Paul. And, you know, I guess if you meet the Apostle Paul, you're bound to be a Christian, right? And so he became a Christian. In fact, Paul says he's now a beloved brother. But he had this problem, and that is he owed Philemon whatever it was he stole. And so Paul sent him back to pay him back and even said, if he owes you anything, put that on my account if he can't repay it. And so evidently Onesimus became not only a Christian, but he was mentored by the Apostle Paul. And for some reason, even being a runaway slave, he was there with Paul at this time, uh, not necessarily in prison, but there in the area along with Tychicus. And these two men were going to go back to Colossians or to the church at Colossae and tell them how uh, Paul Paul was doing. And so evidently, for some reason, um, this was heavily on Paul's mind uh, that that the master-slave relationship, as we've talked about, Christ comes in and changes culture. And so masters are to be responsible, slaves are to be responsible, and probably having Onesimus there with him uh, in the prison where he was, not necessarily in the prison, but around the prison area, he probably just had this heavy on his heart. And so he gives some space, more space, to the slave relationship than he does to the parent-child-husband-wife relationship. And that's just a probability. I'm sure you all did your homework, and you're going to have some clever reasons as to why there's so much space there. But it is a little bit unusual, especially in such a short epistle. But with that in mind, I want to look more closely at what the responsibility of the slave is to the master. Paul says that servants are to obey in all things according to the Flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Now, before we begin, we must understand the culture, very different from ours. In the Roman world, at the time Paul was writing this epistle, one third of the population were slaves. That's 60 million people. 60 million people were slaves at the time that Paul was writing this letter. And slaves were not like, you know, we think, uh, you know, they go around singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen and dig ditches. But that's not what a slave did in the biblical world. They had occupations. They practiced medicine. Uh, they taught. Uh, they had jobs, just like, you know, we would think of people today having professional jobs. But even though they had vocations, they were considered morally incapable of deciding to do good. In fact, a master, if he wanted to, could toss out his slave as a tool. Um, he could kill his slave if he wanted to. Um, he, didn't, he didn't have to treat him as a human being. In fact, if a slave decided to run away, as in the case of uh, Onesimus, uh, they would be branded, and they would brand them with an F on their forehead so that they were known as a fugitive. They were a runaway slave. And many times, these slaves that would run away, uh, they would be put to death. 
without even a trial. And so with that in mind, thinking about their life, Paul commands them to obey. They too are to obey their masters. And ladies, the Greek word for obey is the same one we had last week when we talked about children obeying their parents. Slaves are to listen to the instructions that the master gives, and then they are to obey. They are to obey the spoken word. Now, the only exception for this would be the same as we've had with the the wife to the husband and the child to the parent. The only time a slave should disobey their master is if the slave, if the master asks them to do something that is sinful. And uh, certainly that could have been a possibility. We have this principle in, um, we brought this out before in Acts 5.29 when the apostles were told not to share the gospel. And remember they said, we're going to obey God over you. And they were beaten for it. Or the Hebrew uh, midwives were told to kill all the babies that were born, all the male babies. And the king told them, kill all the babies. And yet the midwives feared God And they did not obey the king. And the Bible tells us that God blessed them for their obedience and not murdering those babies. And so the principle applies here. With a slave to a master, if a master were to ask a slave to do something that is sinful, the Christian slave would not do it. Now, it might cost him his life or her life, but he would not do it. And ladies, the principle applies to us as well. For example, for those of you that work outside the home, If your boss were to ask you to do something ungodly, you do not do it. Uh, He might ask you, he or she, if you have a boss, lie on a report, uh, lie to customers, uh, maybe go out of town traveling with a member of the opposite sex or going to lunch with a member of the opposite sex that might be a sexual temptation for you, then that's where you would decline. In fact, I met a man Uh, once at a church that we were attending, and he actually lost his job over this, but he was told at work that by his boss that he could no longer share the gospel. And uh, this man was, and I I believe that you shouldn't do that on your boss's time, but this man was sharing the gospel uh, in the coffee room on his coffee break and even during the lunch hour. And so his boss put his foot down and he said, I don't want you doing this anymore, and he lost his job over it. And so, um, but a, a Christian employee does not disobey God. They always obey God first. And ladies, I think we need to remember never should our loyalty to any earthly master cause us to sin against our heavenly master. Now, Paul goes on to say who slaves are to obey. Notice what he says. He says they are to obey their masters according to the flesh. And so this would just be talking about an earthly master. Someone is a master, is someone who has supreme authority. And I gave you other scriptures. I'm not going to go over those tonight, but hopefully you'll discuss those in your homework. First Timothy, Titus, Peter, they all uh, talk about the slave-master relationship, the responsibilities they're to have, how they're to obey, and things like that. So I'm not going to uh, go over those this evening so that you'll have something to talk about. About in your group tonight. So, what should be the attitude of servants as they obey? Notice what Paul says. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Now, what does this mean? Well, the word eye service means that you only work when the boss is looking, only if he's watching you. 
And they do this. Notice what Paul says to be men pleasers, which means to court men. So we could say in our day and age, this would be someone who sweeps the floor. You know, if you're, you know, they look so hard. They're working so hard. But, uh, you know, and the boss is watching. But as soon as the boss doesn't look anymore, they sweep the dirt under the rug. You know, and, and maybe some of your kids do that too. I don't know. Or the person that uh, takes a coffee break and doesn't return to work until the boss returns to work. Now, ladies, we shouldn't do that, right? And Christian employees should not do this. And Paul is saying, don't do it only when the boss is looking. And you think about it in the biblical world. In the biblical world, slaves usually had only one motive for working. And you know what that motive was? To avoid punishment. That was really their only motive for working. And so, therefore, they would work very, very hard when the master was watching. But you know what Paul's telling them? Christ comes in and changes that. You, as a Christian slave, that should not be your motive. You know what your motive should be? Not just working because your boss is watching you, but you should be working. Why? Because the boss, right? Your heavenly master is watching you. And ladies, the principle is the same for us who are under the authority of an employer. Um, I know some of you do work and you earn income. Maybe your motive for work is a raise. Uh, maybe your motive for working is to receive praise from men. For those of you that are home workers, mothers, grandmothers, wives, maybe your motive is to receive praise from your husband. Well, honey, you know, you didn't even comment about what a great job I did. You know, I cleaned the oven today. Or uh, maybe your motive is you want to look better than all the other mothers your age or all the other grandmas your age. Paul says that shouldn't be our motive in any work that we do. No work. Ladies, our motive... No matter what we do, if it's housework, doing the laundry, uh, whatever it is, it's to please the Lord. In fact, Paul says in another place that if I seek to please men, then I'm not a servant of Christ. I don't seek to please men, and we should not seek to please men. In fact, he says in another place, but as we have been improved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but we strive to please God. Now, notice what he says next. He says, slaves are not only to obey, are not to obey only to be a man pleaser, but they are to obey in sincerity of heart, fearing God. What does that mean? Well, the idea of sincerity of heart is that there is an undivided mind, a singleness of heart. In other words, there's no self-seeking like wanting to receive a promotion or even a pat on the back. (laughs) Ladies, our only motive for working should be out of fear and reverence for God, not to receive praise of men. In fact, that's what the Pharisees did, right? They wanted praise of men more than the praise of God, and we know Jesus condemns them for that. Ladies, the servant that Paul speaks of here should be like the one Jesus mentions in Luke 17:10 that just did what he ought to do. Just should do what he ought to do. I think Martha Peace mentions that in her book, The Excellent Wife, about, you know, some wives go around complaining about all the work they got to do. And we just should do what we ought to do, right? We're called to be home workers. Ladies, a servant should obey with a sincere heart if the work is pleasant, unpleasant, dull, challenging, menial, or uninteresting. We should be obedient to our masters, not just when they're looking, but when they are not looking. Why? 
because we fear the Lord. We do it as unto the Lord. In fact, the pagan slaves would serve their masters because they were bound by fear, but the Christian slave would serve his master because he feared God. Now, ladies, there's no promise here, as some of you can testify to, that just because you try and live up to this verse that you're going to be blessed, right, or recompensed. Not necessarily is everything going to go well. But, ladies, that should not be the matter for a slave to the heavenly master because we're pleasing him. You know, you as a Christian worker, your ethics should be the best. You should have the best ethics, the most integrity of anyone in your workplace. You should be the most dependable. You should be the one that's on time. You should be the most kind, right? In fact, Paul goes on to say, no matter what it is we're doing, it should be as unto the Lord. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. What's he saying? Well, the Greek word heartily comes from two words, which means heart and soul. So, ladies, everything we do, we should put our heart and soul into it. Work hard at it. And ladies, this involves a right mental attitude as well as your physical body. Put your heart and soul into what you do. Even your housework, even cleaning the toilet, even vacuuming the rugs, cooking dinner. Put your heart and soul into it and do it as unto the Lord. In fact, I was talking to a lady a couple days ago. It was kind of interesting. And she said, would you pray? My son's been been approached by a pretty reputable company that wants to hire him. And I said, sure, what's the job? And so she told me, and she said, so they actually called him and um, asked him about where he was currently working, and he told them, and he said, well, you know, I'm not really I'm not really looking for a job. He said, I'm very happy at my current job. And you know what the other employee, employer said? We want you even more. Because if you were just to have now told me you're not happy at your job, you would not be happy at this job either. And I thought, boy, that is a wise employer to know that if that young man was not content at that job, what makes him think he's going to be content at this new job? And I know this young man, he loves the Lord, and I bet you he puts his whole heart and soul into what he does. He does it heartily as unto the Lord. And that's what Paul's saying. Whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord and not to men. One man said, throw your whole soul into the work as if your one employer were the Lord. Now, ladies, why are we to do this unto the Lord? Why are we to do things unto the Lord? Notice what Paul says. Knowing it's from the Lord, you receive the reward of your inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. The word knowing here is the motive for working heartily. In fact, in the Greek, it means you have come to know. You, as a Christian slave, you have come to know that you're working for the Lord. You're not working for your master, no matter what the job is. And ladies, this would be a special encouragement to the Christian slave that was sitting there in the church at Colossae. Because, you know, as a slave in the biblical world, And we don't understand this. But as a slave in the biblical world, they would not receive an eternal inheritance. I mean, an earthly inheritance. There would be nothing there. There's no social security. There's, you know, nothing like that. There is no uh, earthly uh, inheritance. My words are really mumbled up here tonight. 
Uh, you'll have to forgive me. Well, that was that lesson a few weeks ago, but on forgiveness. But for the Christian slave, it would be very encouraging. Why? Because even though they might not receive anything here in this life, they have what? An eternal inheritance. Remember, Paul's already said in the, the prayer for the church at Colossae, they're going to receive a portion of the lot, right? I know you probably have forgotten that, but back when we studied that prayer. And so that would be very encouraging to them. I'm not going to get anything in here in this life, but you know what? I'm going to receive the reward of the inheritance for I serve the Lord Christ. In fact, in Roman society, many slaves were set free if their masters willed it because of the good they had done and the love they had shown their masters. But you know what Paul says? Don't be good slaves just because you think you might be set free someday for your good work. But be good slaves because you've come to know that you are going to receive a reward from the Lord. And ladies, I think this should be sobering to all of us. And we've talked about this before, but... You know, there are some tasks, quite frankly, that I don't enjoy doing, but I do them and I pray always. I have a good attitude about it, but I realize that I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account for everything I do in my body, whether it's good or whether it's bad, right? Each of us is going to stand before the Lord. And so we need to keep that in mind. Why do we do the things that we do? Is my motive right in the things that I'm doing, especially, especially the physical work that we do? Ladies, we must keep in mind that the rewards we receive will be according to the Lord's decision and not any man and not any woman in our life. Well, Paul then reminds the slaves of something we all need to be reminded of, and that is, he says, we serve the Lord Christ. We serve the Lord Christ. You know, even says about Jesus, the Son of Man did not come to be ministered to, but to minister, right? And give his life a ransom for many. He didn't come to do his own will. But he came to do the will of the Father who sent him. And so we need to keep that in mind as we go through our days. Even as we're serving our families. Ladies, we are serving our families. But ultimately, we're serving the Lord. He's the one that we're going to give an account to on that day. And as a Christian employee, we must remember no matter what work we are doing, we serve the Lord. It's a privilege. It's an honor. Um, I know people that would love to be able to work, people that are handicapped, people that can't work, and they would love to work. And this would be an encouragement. These words that Paul is speaking would be an encouragement to these slaves who are undergoing harsh treatment because as children of the Lord, they one day would receive an eternal reward that would far outweigh any difficulties that they were currently having. And ladies, I would encourage you to examine your own work and be willing to ask yourself, why do you do the things that you do? Is it for the Lord? Is it for others? Is it for your own glory? And I think we need to be honest with ourselves. Why do we do the things that we do? Am I serving the Lord through this? Am I serving myself? Am I hoping to get pats on the back? Am I hoping to get a raise? Am I hoping, you know, what am I doing? Am I promoting myself or am I serving the Lord? Is it for his glory? Well, Paul then soberly reminds them of a truth that we, too, need to be reminded of in verse 25. He says, he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Ladies, Paul's very clear in this verse. Slave, master, doesn't matter who you are. If you've done wrong, you are going to be paid back for what you have done. I was thinking about Doug's illustration on Sunday about uh, when he was a kid, he was a member of a gang and went and, you know, broke into people's houses. And then he recalled the time that 
we were broken into right after we got married. We'd probably just been married three or four years. And he said, you know, I've always looked back on that and thought that was payback, you know. So he that does wrong is going to receive for the wrong which he's done, right? You reap what you sow. And I thought, well, that rat, why do you have to go rob people? I lost my wedding ring in that robbery. But um, <clears throat> it's a principle, isn't it? He who does wrong will be repaid wrong for what he has done. In fact, it's been suggested that perhaps there was an unrest among the slaves at Colossae at this time, and that's why there is this admonition. Paul says, don't do the wrong thing. Do the right thing. No matter if you have a harsh master, do the right thing. And so this is an encouragement as well as a sobering reminder to them. Now, when Paul tells the church at Colossae that they'll be repaid for the wrong they have done, he's saying you're going to receive back for what you have done that is wrong. And ladies, when we think of rewards, we think, well, we're going to get the good stuff, right? But not necessarily. Sometimes a a reward can be something that's not good. And so Paul's reminding them you are going to receive for the wrong that you have done. So many employees look forward to payday, but ladies, we would be wise to remember there is going to be a payday for all of us, right? It's called Judgment Day. Uh, Whether we're an employee or an employer uh, or a wife or a mother or whatever, there is a payday coming. And at that time, we will all receive the just rewards for what is due us. I think of what Paul says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And I've lived long enough to now to know and tell you the truth that that is a principle. Uh, do not be deceived about this. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And if you sow corruption, you're going to reap corruption. And so uh, it's a great motivator for doing the right thing. Well, Paul reminds the slaves as he ends his admonition to them that with God there is no partiality, no respect of persons. In fact, the word respect comes from the word face. In other words, what Paul is saying, God does not judge you. He has no partiality. Doesn't matter if you're good looking. On judgment day, it ain't going to matter, ladies. You can be the best looking person ever. And on judgment day, it's not going to matter. In fact, we've already seen in the epistle to the Colossians with Christ, there is what? Neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but what? Christ is all and in all. In fact, God is not a respecter of persons when it comes to salvation, and he is not a respecter of persons when it comes to judgment. It's not going to matter what you look like. Uh, you're not going to get by with that. He's saying, Paul is saying, doesn't matter what your face looks like, doesn't matter what your appearance is, doesn't matter if you wear the nicest clothes, if you have the light, latest trends, doesn't matter. God's not going to look at that. He will not make decisions on judgment day based on your facial feature. You know what he's going to make his decisions based on? Your heart. Your heart. In fact, remember in 1 Samuel 16 when God told Samuel that one of Jesse's sons was going to become king? Remember who they thought it was going to be? Eliab. Why? Good looking. Got to be him, right? That's the one that's going to be king. He's the good looking one. Remember what the Lord said to Samuel? Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? At your heart, right? He looks at the heart. Ladies, we must keep in mind that it will not matter on the day of judgment who you are, what race, what religion, Even your favorite, do you know even your favorite preacher is going to receive for the wrong they've done? Have you thought about that? 
No one is going to get a king's ex, as Doug often says. So what is the responsibility of the slave to the master? Their responsibility is to obey in all things, not just when their master is watching, but knowing their Lord is watching. They're to work as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing it is God who will one day be the one who rewards their work, whether it is good or whether it is bad. Now, before we close, there's another admonition given to another classification of people, and that is to the masters. They are not off the hook just because they're in a position of authority. And my friend, if you are an employer uh, of some employees, you're not off the hook either. Um, And in my opinion, um, this is an unfortunate chapter division because it's still with the theme of slaves and masters. And as you know, translators came in and added chapters and verses. But when Paul was sitting there in prison writing this epistle to the church at Colossae, it was one letter. And so sometimes it's, it's frustrating when translators come in and do that. That. And here we we see that for sure that they have, unfortunately, I don't know why they <clears throat> just didn't put chapter 3, verse 26, and then add with uh, verse 2 that we're going to cover next week as we look at evangelism, giving you a little hint for next week. Anyway, let's consider quickly the responsibility of the master to the servant. Paul says, masters, give your servants, that was just dust and fair, knowing you have a master in heaven. So the Christian slave has a set of ethics that he should follow as a Christian, but so does the master, so does the employer. They have a different set of work ethics than those in the world. And so Paul's saying, if you will follow this commandment, (laughs) it will go well with you. In fact, uh, I would say if if uh, we as Americans would follow this commandment, there would be fewer employee strikes for sure, right? In fact, I was thinking about this with the Oklahoma teachers supposedly uh, going on strike. I don't know if they are, but it sounds like they are going to. In fact, what servant would have trouble obeying a master like that? The master that is giving to him what is just and equal. It's just like the principle we brought out um, with the wife and husband relationship. What wife would have a problem submitting to her husband cheerfully if he's loving her the way Christ loved the church. She's not going to have a problem, right, submitting to him. And so the same thing here with the master-slave relationship. What slave would have a problem, what employee would have a problem submitting to an employer that did what was just and what was right and what was fair? And ladies, masters must remember they have a master too. And they are going to be accountable to him. And if they understood that, they would not treat their slaves unjustly. And so notice what Paul says. He says, masters, give to your servants that which is just and fair. Interesting word, give. The word give there means to draw from their own resources. So they can't go borrow the money. It's from the the master's money that he already has. He's to give to his servants what he already has. And Paul says, you give them what is just and what is equal. Uh, What is fair is what he's saying. In fact, this is interesting because the condition of slaves among the Greeks and Romans was difficult because uh, if even if their master did not pay them, did not give them what was equal, did not give them what was fair, they could not go on strike like the Oklahoma teachers are going to do or may do. They could not go down to the court of law and make an appeal and say, look, my master isn't paying me. I need money. I need to feed my family. They could not do that. 
they could never show up in a court of law, and so they couldn't expect any justice. And so if the master didn't give them the money or give them what was just and what was fair, they were out of luck, and there was nothing they could do about it. And Paul is warning these Christian masters, no, you do not do that. You do what is just. You do what is fair. And if someone has worked for you, then you give them. And he reminds them, what? There's going to be a judge, and he will judge you on that day. Now, what would justice and fairness mean? Well, basically, what the master was required to do was to make sure that the slaves had proper food and clothing and rest and not be overworked. And, uh, ladies, this is certainly a lesson that all masters throughout all ages need to heed to. I think of some of these people that I know that work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, uh, even in our culture. And uh, I'm not saying they have harsh bosses, but that's that's over the top. Uh, people that work, they need rest, they need food, and they need proper clothing and not to be overworked. Paul says, you do not treat your servants as if God had made them inferior. And notice he gives them a motivation for obeying this command. Notice what he says. Knowing that you have a master in heaven. Is your master in heaven just? Is he fair? Is he equal? Is he going to be partial in judgment? You're going to receive for the wrong that you've done, right? So you Christian masters, you treat your slaves with justice and fairness and don't be harsh to them. I think about the ones in James, the the ones that James warns, the rich men weep and howl for your miseries that are going to come upon you. And he gives them this warning how they've, you know, fattened themselves up for the day of slaughter. And they have these slaves out there that are mowing their fields for them, these rich people in James chapter 5. And they won't even pay them. And it says the cries of these reapers are crying out to the Lord of Sabaoth. You know, we, we're not even getting paid for mowing these people's fields. And uh, James gives a harsh warning to those rich men. It's not going to be good for them on Judgment Day. He said, you've heaped up treasure for the last day, and it's not going to be fun. And so I think we need to remember the context here is so different than our culture, and sometimes it's really hard for us to understand when we're considering slaves and masters because uh, we don't live in that culture where many of them were treated unjustly and they would work physically hard all day out in the fields, and then they weren't paid. And so many of them you know, had families and they had to feed them, but they had nothing to feed them with. And they needed to remember, the masters need to remember, they have a master in heaven. He's just, he's fair, and he will repay them for the wrong they have done if they have not treated their slaves the way that they ought to be treated. So what is the responsibility of the masters to the servants? They are to give what is right and just to their servants. And their motive in obeying this command is knowing they have a master who is just and right and he will reward or punish according to their obedience. Now, as we close, I am very aware that in our country we do not have slavery. And so maybe to you they're thinking, this lesson is not applicable to me. But some of you might feel like a slave, right? Some of you might feel like you're a slave to your children or a slave to your husband or a slave to the dishes or a slave to laundry or a slave to your housework. Or a slave to running errands. Or a slave to your phone. Just throw it in the trash. That's my advice to you. A slave to your pet. Or maybe a slave to something I haven't mentioned. 
Ladies, whatever your work might be, do you do it as unto the Lord? Is your attitude pleasing to him? Do you do your work as if he were standing right there with you? He is, you know, by the way. He's omnipresent. Do you do half-hearted jobs? Are you lazy in your housework? Are you diligent in your parenting? Do you have before your mind that you will receive a reward or loss of reward for those things that you have done in your body, whether it's good or whether it's bad? For those of you who are employers or even moms, do you treat those who are under your authority with harshness, expecting things out of them that you would not expect of yourself? Do those under you have proper food, clothing, rest, and pay? Do you have before your mind's eye that you will give an account on that day before your heavenly master for how you have treated those who are under your authority? Well, Elizabeth Elliot closes her thoughts on work with this, and I thought it was good. Wouldn't it make an astounding difference, not only in the quality of work we do, but also in our satisfaction, even in our joy, if we recognized God's gracious gift in every single task, from making a bed or bathing a baby, to drawing a blueprint or selling a computer? If our children saw us doing heartily as unto the Lord, all the work we do, they would learn true happiness. Instead of feeling that they must be allowed to do what they like, they would learn to like what they do. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will uh, take my stumblings this evening and, uh, Lord, somehow um, help us to realize that everything we do whether we eat, drink, work, it all should be done to the glory of God. I pray for those of us who work uh, in our homes or maybe work outside the home. Pray that we would do our work with an attitude of pleasing you, not to get a raise, not to get a pat on the back, not to get praise of men for a great job done, but, Lord, that we would be more concerned about how we are pleasing you and how we are working for you with the right attitude. And, Lord, that we would not work just when someone's watching us, that we would not be like the Pharisees that wanted to be noticed by others. And then, Father, for those of us who are parents, those of us, I know there are some here that own their own businesses, I pray, Lord, that they would not be harsh to their employees. We as mothers would not be harsh with our children we would give them what is just, what is fair, proper rest, proper food, proper clothing. Uh, Lord, that we would be um, the best um, employees, the best employers, Lord. And knowing that we each, whether we're in a position of authority or in a position of a servant, that each of us are going to give an account on that day to our heavenly master who is just and who is fair. And he will do what is right with no partiality. So, Father, help us as we go into our groups. I pray that our um, discussion time would be rich and, uh, Lord, that we would be diligent in even in our homework. Father, we ask for that. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.